Thank you, Pastor. It's such a privilege to get to work alongside John. And now we've got Greg on board and Rachel and the elders and our wonderful music leaders here who did such a marvelous job leading us on Friday evening after the banquet. We didn't have to sing for our supper. We got to sing for dessert on Friday evening. And so many others. It's good to be with you. Uh, by the way, just, oh, bless you. Just to, uh, it's okay, it's okay. Just, just to mention, uh, as I begin here with God's Word, again, if you're inclined and planning to come on Christmas Eve, there are forms there in your bulletin to let us know when you plan to come, and you can just deposit those on that little round table right there as you leave, or maybe in a seat over here if you're going out that way, so that I'll do my job and make sure that I've instructed you properly, which I failed to do earlier. But I do know that today we are in Luke chapter 1. As we continue along in this gospel account written by Luke, the beloved physician, each week the heading of your outline says, well, says what I want to convey. The doctor has good news, even as the doctor is sitting down over there. Tom Lynch, Luke conveys good news to us, and we have made our way to verse 39. In Luke chapter 1. So let's read together God's word and then let's consider it together. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 39. You can follow along there in the insert in your worship folder in a Bible that should be nearby or on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, The baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So may the Lord bless this reading of his word, because aren't we reminded that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. This is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. Unexpected joy. That's what happened to me on Thursday. 
Thursday, I was still getting over a respiratory infection, though told by the doctor I wouldn't be contagious. I went to a meeting of those involved in ministry here in Bonita Springs in a small gathering over at one of our local churches, and I was seated at a table with a dear sister in the Lord who I discerned was from Haiti. And yet, a few minutes into the conversation, I realized her accent was not Haitian. It was something else. And so I asked her, and come to find out, she is from Zambia. And she said that she was raised in Zambia and she became a Christian. And because of her family situation, making a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus placed her in danger. Members of her own family wanted to kill her. And she had to flee from Zambia and go to Zimbabwe. And there she was safe as Christians protected her there. So at the end of the meeting, I'm sitting there thinking, I only know two people in Zimbabwe. That's all I could think of. And so as the meeting closed with prayer, I pulled up the picture of the two people that I know in Zimbabwe, Dr. Victor Naka and his wife, Nasizo. Victor Naka is the international director for Sub-Saharan Africa for Mission of the World. He oversees all of our PCA ministries and work that are going on in sub-Saharan Africa. It is a huge territory, and he is a brilliant theologian and a wonderful pastor and a dear brother in the Lord. We've spoken at a missions conference together before, and I just love Victor dearly, and I thought there's about a one in 100 million chance that this lady would know the two people that I know in Zimbabwe. And so I slid my phone in front of her, and I said, just wanted you to know I know two people from Zimbabwe, and she screamed. And tears literally sprung out of her eyes. And she said, I know them. I know them. I know them. And crying, she said, they are such good people. They are such good people. She said, I stayed with them. I worshiped with them. I did not see those hair. And suddenly I realized my ability to calculate probabilities was absolutely meaningless. What are the chances? Of that, I have no clue. And so it was with delight that afternoon that I emailed Victor and Asizo and I told them that I had met Sozio in Bonita Springs, Florida, and they were absolutely astounded. They had not seen her for 30 years and didn't even know she was in the United States. I said, I pray that this email brings you just half the joy that it has brought me today. As I was able to rejoice with that dear saint in the Lord. Over God's glorious provision. Unexpected joy. Imagine standing near the doorway when Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, greeted Elizabeth and a baby leapt in his mother's womb for joy. And she, filled with the Holy Spirit, having received the greeting. Being enabled by God to discern what really was transacting. Can you imagine being in that location on that day? Now, what was the most important historical event of the day, as would be discerned by people who supposedly discern such things? Imagine if you had news media on site and they were reporting. Undoubtedly, they would think that the most important events were taking place in Rome, probably somewhere near the household or the seat of government surrounding Caesar Augustus. Or more locally, they would think it was probably something to do with Herod the Great. And yet we know from God's word, the scripture, that the most significant event that happened that day would have gone unrecorded 
by the reporters of the day that were historians on that occasion as these two ladies greeted each other and there was rejoicing and unexpected joy. Mary had been told by Gabriel that she would bear a son, having now had conceived in her by the power of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. She believed the word of the angel. How do I know that? Because she had to travel at least 70 miles to make it to this unknown village outside of Jerusalem. We don't even know where it was. It was one of the small, seemingly insignificant towns in Judah in the hill region. And we know that Mary would have had to travel a great distance to get there. And back in that day, you didn't just hop on an Uber and head out. She had to know that Elizabeth was with child and that God was working her in an extraordinary manner. She believed what Gabriel told her. Otherwise, she would have never undertaken such an extraordinary journey. Indications of faith. Faith always bears itself out. In the life in which it resides. And so Mary went to see her cousin because she believed God's word as brought by Gabriel. As he had said to her back in verse 36, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And it seems that soon after this glorious announcement was made, she took off. She went there. And so Mary indicates for us what real faith looks like. It is belief in action. And upon the greeting, we see that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is the key person in all of this, remember that. The Holy Spirit is revealing this knowledge. It is the Holy Spirit who who conceives in Mary the Lord Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit who is a part of this whole story. The whole Bible is about what the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of people. It's like when you turn over to the book of Acts. It typically is given the subheading, the Acts of the Apostles. But we know that's not true. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles. And that work continues today, just like through the Nakas in sub-Saharan Africa, just like through you. Is you live your Christian life. It's the Holy Spirit working through you. And he's the real actor on the stage. And that's why the baby bounced. By the way, in this whole discussion today about unborn children in which we have far more heat than light. Let me simply point out to you that the same word for baby is the Greek word brephos used here to speak of John the Baptist in his mother's womb, as it is also used to speak of the Lord Jesus after birth, who was laid in the manger. There is no distinction biblically. There is no distinction truthfully. If you think I've strayed from the Bible into politics, think what you want to. I'm simply telling you what the Bible says. These are children. And this baby leaps in his mother's womb. Imagine, what was it like for Elizabeth? We can only guess. And so, as these three participants, the infant John the Baptist, as yet unnamed, Elizabeth and Mary, all are able to do what they do because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth makes a glorious exclamation, and Mary expresses what we call the Magnificat. 
That's the Latin word for magnify, because in the Latin text, it is the first word in that text. And so it is forever after been called that. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. How is it that this unborn child would be able to respond in such a way? Hey, listen, when God is at work, anything is possible. And all this is God enabled, as I've said, by the power of God's spirit. We see a humble faith demonstrated. First of all, in Elizabeth, who would be characterized as the uh, as the more important one in this discourse because she's the older one. And so, therefore, Mary properly has gone to her and greeted her. That was a show of deference. But Elizabeth immediately turns that around. It's as if she says, oh, no. The mother of my Lord has come to visit me. Who am I? And suddenly the older one is showing deference to the younger one. Because God is at work in a mysterious way. And so Elizabeth gives this wonderful expression of faith on her part, which leads to a glorious expression of faith on Mary's part. And it is with that humble faith, Mary had a mind filled with scripture and a heart filled with praise. It reminds me of Psalm 71, 6. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. And so, as the Holy Spirit works, praise comes forth. As I've said, magnificent is the Latin word for magnify. This title given to Mary's hymn. Isn't it glorious? That here she's able to speak this beautiful, wonderful expression. I wish I could just spend time and, and talk about this in, in terms of its beauty and artistry. That here is this wonderful expression. I mean, think of the think of the speeches and soliloquies that have been preserved for us down through time, whether it's the writing of Shakespeare or whether it's Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. And you remember the whole story about the Gettysburg Address. Lincoln was not even the keynote speaker that day. Remember, they had invited the guy who was known to be an eloquent speaker. He spoke for two hours. That was the Gettysburg Address. Lincoln was done in less than three minutes. And somebody told me one time there's a lesson there for preachers, but I can't remember what it was. I'll think of it later. Think of marvelous, wonderful expressions that we recall to mind. And yet I would submit to you that this is among the most beautiful of any words ever uttered by anyone on earth. As these two ladies encounter each other. And it is wonderfully preserved for us here in Scripture. Luke alone records these things. Remember, he records for us the words of Elizabeth. He records for us the words of Mary, the song of Zechariah later, the angel's song on that night in which the Lord Jesus is born. Luke, having apparently something of the artist in him, preserves beautifully for us these words so that we might use them as expressions of worship for ourselves. Oh, my soul magnifies the Lord. 
Magnify is a word which means ascribe greatness to or glorify. It should be our desire, each of us, to want to magnify the Lord, to make much of him and less and less of ourselves. John the Baptist himself, once born and once grown, is an example to us of that when he says at the beginning of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus, I must decrease and he must increase. That is the charted course of the Christian's life from beginning to end. Ever so that Jesus increases within us and we decrease. That goes against everything, doesn't it? I mean, it just kind of turns Maslow's pyramid on its end. You know, instead of trying to achieve self-actualization, we want to achieve death to self and self-denial and the exaltation of the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know where that leaves you psychologically. I'm not qualified to say. But I can tell you this. If you're getting closer to Jesus... And he is increasingly being magnified in your life. Your mind and heart will experience healing and wholeness such as you've never known before. And so magnifying him is that great end and aim in life. And the person who magnifies the Lord is one who knows the Lord and has experienced his salvation. Note how Mary says, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, by the way. This shows us that Mary herself is in need of God's salvation, just as we all are in need of his rescue. And we rejoice in that, don't we? That's that even resonates with unbelievers to a certain degree. That's why a song like Amazing Grace can be so readily welcomed, even at secular events. Isn't it strange how that that song Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. How many people really think about those words? And yet it resonates because people have an innate understanding of a need to be rescued and a need to be saved, even if they're still in darkness. And we all the more, having been enlightened in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, rejoice in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our heart's desire is to magnify, to amplify. I'm looking at this microphone and thinking another application of the word. Taking those things that are true and amplifying them to the world. And so that happens in the heart and the life of someone who's experienced this salvation. It's something that we readily talk about and express and share with others. We also see that the soul that magnifies the Lord is one who delights in extolling the Lord because we've been exalted by him. As we look again at Mary's words, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. She's delighting in extolling the Lord and talking about his greatness and his goodness. And that is our practice as Christians. We'll be doing that for all eternity. Magnifying the Lord and extolling his work. We won't be gathered around in heaven bragging about all the things we did. Hey, you should have seen me when I was seven years old. There will be none of that. 
You know, I used to laugh about that when I, for 10 years, was pastoring my home church and people would ask me what it was like to pastor where I grew up. And I said, well, it's great, but, you know, I can't tell all those stories about the great things I did growing up because my parents and my brother and sister were there every week. They knew better. So, see, I moved off down here to southwest Florida so I could start doing it again. (laughs) Sorry, Lisa. No. We make much of the Lord. He who is mighty has done great things for me. God has not saved me or you and placed us in his kingdom because he got a great bargain. It's not because he looked down on the earth and said, oh, if only I could have that one in my kingdom, I would really have something. No, God takes that which is nothing and makes us into something. We are only something because of who he is. And so we glorify him. We make much of him. He's brought down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estate. Those today who are in positions of prestige and power, who think much of themselves, would do well to listen to words like these. To have an understanding and discernment that life is brief, that a great reckoning is coming. God is the one who alone is on the throne. We need to tell ourselves that every day. Every day when we're watching the news or when we're reading it or when we're hearing about the latest that's happening in Washington, D.C. or in New York or in Beijing or in Tokyo. Whatever it may be that's going on in any given day, we must understand and know that the one who truly rules and reigns is seldom reported on by the media. That Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we will all answer to him. And for the believer... That brings us joy to think that we'll be face to face with the one who died for us, the one who gave himself for us, the one who loved us so much that he sacrificed himself for our sakes. That gives us great joy and our desire is to exalt him because we understand that he is the sovereign Lord. He really does rule. Mary has an understanding of this. Now, you've got to wonder, what sort of education and training did Mary have? Clearly. She is saturated with Old Testament scripture. Now, much of what she says is based on Psalm 146. Part of it also comes from Hannah's prayer when she uh, is blessed of the Lord to bear Samuel in the Old Testament. But she basically knows scripture and having it in her head, it's, it's pouring forth from her heart in this glorious expression of praise. And so that puts her in greater standing in my mind than someone with several postgraduate degrees. No offense to those of you who have them. I admire you. But you understand. You know what I'm talking about. As God has enabled you and gifted you to have that wonderful academic training, it doesn't surpass having a knowledge of the things of God's word. And Mary has that. And oh, how she blesses us by expressing this. And Luke, for so wonderfully recording it for us that we here can join with her in her worship in extolling a sovereign God who brings low those who think they're somebodies, and he exalts those who deem themselves to be nobodies. And she also believes what she says. She believes the ancient word of the Lord and that it remains the word of the Lord. 
There's an expression of God's faithfulness here as we see that his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Again, I remind you, we're here today not marveling at Caesar or Herod. We're talking about these two ladies that were unknowns, even in their own country, and yet recorded for all time and eternity because they worship the Lord. Filling the hungry with good things, sending the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. There you see it. God's word to his people, his faithfulness, keeping his covenant for all time. And that's why Elizabeth will bear a son and call him John. That's why Mary will bear a son and call him Jesus, because God is keeping the promise he made centuries before. And that ancient word remains God's word. He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. I mean, we're we're some 4000 years removed from Abraham. You know, I can't comprehend 100 years ago. Let alone 4000 years ago. And yet ancient promises spoken and you'd have to wonder and people do wonder, don't they? They wonder why, as believers, we get together and we, we talk about things from an ancient book. I mean, this, this book is old. The material, the information in here is centuries old. The most recent parts of it are 2,000 years old. And I'm talking about promises that were made to Abraham even 2,000 years before that. And yet, God never changes. His word is Steadfast, It's established in the heavens. And promises made then remain promises in effect now. So that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God hasn't changed course in the middle of the stream. Indeed, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Just to repeat that. And to his offspring forever. So God doesn't do things to impress us. He doesn't do them to be spectacular. This is not the way Hollywood would have scripted the unfolding of these events. I mean, they would have they would have rolled out the red carpet. They would have had all the prestigious people of that day, the most powerful, the most famous, all would have been participants in the great parade that they would have scripted. And yet God does things in an entirely different way. Working in these most unlikely of people in unknown places to accomplish the greatest work that the world will ever know. And I've shared with you time and again, I'll share with you again, that gives me hope and an understanding. That while you and I may have absolutely no standing before the personalities of our day. To know the Lord Jesus Christ places us in the greatest of standing. That anyone could ever hope for. I'm a child of God. I've told you before, through the years, I've always had an interest in tracing my family tree. I don't know why I was afflicted with that desire back in my childhood days and wanting to know about 
family and who they were and where they came from. And there's nobody famous in my lineage. There's no royalty that I've been able to find. There's a couple of people who serve time for making moonshine. It's true. And other unimportant things. Um, never going to be featured in who's who. Older I get, the less I care. I can look at this bald head in the mirror every morning. And I can say, you may not be on TV, but you're a child of the king. You have a family. You have an inheritance. You have a hope and glory. Because God deals with us as a gracious God and a merciful God who forgives our sins. I was listening to John as he was praying and making confession and thinking about things that I'm ashamed of. Now there's my childhood. No, it's not the great things. It's the things I wish I didn't remember that come back to me. I thought the other day, just came out of the blue. I remember saying something back to a teacher of mine one time. And she didn't get angry with me. I suddenly saw the look of hurt on her face that was still there from when I was in the fifth grade. Where'd that come from? It comes from a heart of sin. And it reminded me of how much I need a Redeemer. I I wish I could say that's the worst thing I did, but that's just an event that happened. Recalling those things to mind, those things that would shame me, those things that I don't even want to talk about. And yet God, out of his gracious kindness, has been merciful to us and forgives us. And we can rejoice in God, my Savior. And you talk about unexpected joy. In the middle of my self-pity party that I had there for a few moments, and I was thinking about you, you think you're something. And all of a whole bunch of other things began to come to mind right there, one after the other, as I recall, one shortcoming after another. And you think you're a a minister of the gospel. I didn't hear an audible voice. But I could sense in my spirit the word of the Lord simply saying, you are forgiven. Why? I've been through three years of seminary and 30 years of study since. I still have no answer to that question. I don't know why God would forgive a sinner like me, except that he is a God who loves us. And he exalts the humble. And blessed be his name. And so Christmas is all of that and so much more. And I pray that today as we leave, all of us are able to say, My soul magnifies the Lord. And I rejoice in God, my Savior. Bless his name. Oh, Father in heaven, we are so undeserving of your grace and mercy. And you have been kind and gracious to reveal things to us that are too wonderful for us to look upon. Angels look into these things and wonder. Collectively, they are scratching their heads in amazement at the way in which you have chosen to redeem sinners and to accumulate for yourself your own people. So, Lord, who are we 
to comprehend. In amazement, we look to you with thanksgiving in our hearts and exalt you. And we ask for grace, O Lord, that we might magnify you more and more with each passing day, that we would find delight in our souls. As we find ourselves on a path wherein we are decreasing and the one who is the true king increases in us. Blessed be your name, for we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. O little town of Bethlehem, you have sheets in your worship folder. The words are also on the screen. Let's stand if you're able and sing this beautiful hymn by Phillips Brooks. May the God who is with us abide with us. To that end, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up unto you his countenance and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. And everyone said together.